So, yeah, so Happy New Year. This is uh, what we've been talking about. Um, really just asking the question, what makes you happy? Trying to discover, do we really even know what makes us happy? You know, the video is great because, like, at the end of it, like, there's all these things we think make us happy, and eventually the bottom falls out. We find out, like, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. We keep trying things one after another, and the question really comes back to, do we really know what makes us happy? Now, let's just do a little, little review um, this morning, a little quiz. If you were here the first week, you remember that when we talked about, we asked the question, what makes you happy? And you remember what we said the first week? Nothing, right? No thing can make you happy. It's more about a who than a what, right? Then the, last week, anybody remember what we talked about last week when we said what makes you happy? This is really hard for you guys. Sometimes I don't even remember what I said last week, right? Yeah. We talked about sowing and reaping, right? Like we talked about happiness is this trajectory. You sow in the direction of your happiness, but it is not immediate. It is not circumstantial. It's not something that I can do right now and then be happy a minute later. It is a long-term thing. So here's the problem. And this is really challenging. And if you're, if you're under the age of like 40-ish something, this is probably really important to pay attention to. Because if you don't know the direction that you're sowing your decisions in, if you don't know what you're doing now and where it's leading later, right, you can start doing stuff now, and then you get to be 30 or you get to be 40, and you look back over your shoulder and you're like, why am I so unhappy? Like, how did I get here that I'm so unhappy in this place? And, and here's what you do when, when you have your midlife crisis. Here's what you're going to do, right? Uh, you're going to blame everybody else. Or like, it's somebody else's fault that you're unhappy. And then you're going to do what we all do. You're going to come to grips with, what's the common denominator? It's me, right? So now I look back over my shoulder and I go, how'd I get here? And when you do that, I think you're going to see that there were some decisions that you made all along the way that led you and contributed to your unhappiness. Now, the good news is right, that, that you have some control over. That, that God has given you the ability to make some decisions to sow in the long-term direction of your happiness. But we have all had this thought, right? I thought I knew what would make me happy. I thought I knew what would make me happy. And there's no place that's more true than with our money. Right? With, with our money, we I thought I knew what I would spend that on, do with that to make me happy. And it didn't make me happy. And so when it comes to our money, that's what we're going to talk about, this connection with our money. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to your connection with money, we, we all kind of believe that our money is connected with our happiness. Now, it doesn't matter how many times some wise person or some preacher stands up here on the stage and says, money won't make you happy. I mean, you probably sit there and go, Maybe that's right, but down deep, you're like, I don't know, I feel like I ought to try it, right? Like, like, where do I sign up to see if it's really true or not? Because you know that there's some connection with it, and, and you know that because you've experienced it. You know that there is a connection between your money and happiness. You don't believe that money won't make you happy. I don't believe that money won't make you happy, and the key is, like, what is the connection? Because... We all know a little bit of money to take care of my family 
to buy some ice cream every once in a while contributes to my happiness, right? Like, when I'm not all, like, freaked out about my money situation, like, it does contribute to some, and, and, you know, the science, my kids come home and tell me the science backs this up, right? They just took an economics class that said there is a level to which you get financially that after that, like, there's no reward, like, you can give people as much money as you can, it doesn't motivate them because they've gotten to the place where, like, it motivates them up to that point. And it's true for us. There is a connection. But but here's the thing, and here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to, our conclusion today isn't that there is no connection between money and happiness. It's that there is a connection, but it might not be the connection that you and I think. So if you want to get out your outline, you can follow along today. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're just going to camp out in one piece of Scripture today because it has such a central truth. And so here it is. So, so when it comes to our happiness, here's where we go wrong, like, here's where we kind of mess this up a little bit. We think the connection between happiness and our money is more. That's what we think, right? It's, it's, it's the amount of. We think if I just had more money, come on, you thought that, right? I, if I just had more money, I'd be more happy, right? If I just had more money, I'd be more happier, what I did there, the English language, I just totally butchered it. You're welcome. So there's, there's this amount that we think we have. Now, ask yourself this question. Let's just test this out a little bit. How much money do you need to be happy? How much? I mean, think about this figure in your head right now. How much more money do you need to be more happy than you are right now? How much more is it going to take? You know, what the, you know what that figure is? See, here's the thing. It's the same answer. It doesn't matter whether you're young and poor because you're paying off college loans. It doesn't matter whether you're making more money than you ever thought you did. The answer is exactly the same no matter who you ask, right? How much money do you need to make you happy? More than you currently have, right? Now, we, we all need, this is what we need. I need more than I currently have to make me happy. And, and the problem with when money is connected to our happiness is this. When we connect money to our happiness, or sorry, when we connect more to, our, to the connection between happiness and our money, here's what we do, right? I need more money. So I get more money. I'm not happy enough yet. So what do I do? More money. More money. See, it becomes a moving target that we never achieve. We're always unhappy because what we need to make us happy is more, and more is never enough, and so we need more again, and it just keeps adding up, and we're never really happy. And you know this is kind of essentially true because you all know people that have less than you do, and they're happy. And you know all, all know people who have more than you do, and they're unhappy. And that more isn't the connection. It's not the thing that's going to bring up happiness. It, the, the connection isn't the word more. But there is a connection. And I believe it's a connection that Jesus actually taught. And I believe it's a connection that, that throughout the whole of Scripture is taught over and over again. And the word is not more, but it is an M word. Anybody want to guess what the connection word is? Management, right? It's not more money that you need. It's managing your money that you need. Right? It, you, you, it doesn't matter how much more you have, but it does mean it doesn't matter how you manage what you have. 
You can have all the money in the world, but it won't make you happy unless you manage that money. And that is what God teaches over and over. And it is, it, it, it might sound small, but it is ridiculously important to your happiness. It will sow in the direction that will change your life. And, and here's why. Because when you don't manage your money, right, things start to feel out of control. And when things start to feel out of control, you feel anxious. And when you feel anxious, you're not happy because when you don't manage your money, you don't have peace. It undermines your peace. And this is what Jesus is really talking about today. It will undermine your peace. And anything that undermines your peace with God, your peace with yourself, your peace with others, anything that undermines that will undermine your happiness. It will. Anything that disrupts your love for God and for others, it will undermine your happiness. And that is why Jesus addresses what he does in Luke 16, 12. In fact, we're just going to camp out in one verse today. Luke 16, 13. That's all we need to camp out in today because it will make it, it's such a staggering truth of what Jesus says. And he basically says, mismanage your money and you'll be unhappy. It will undermine your peace. So Jesus gives us this one principle. And you know you've been at places in your life, right? where your money hasn't been managed and you haven't been happy, you might be there now, and I guarantee you that you know someone who is there right now. So if you don't figure it out, your money is going to manage you. And that's really the principle that Jesus is going to teach about today. Either you manage your money or it will manage you. It will manage you. It will be over top of you. So Luke 16, 13. Before we start going into Luke 16, 13, just need to know, this is kind of this, it's embedded in this section of Scripture, and Jesus is talking about this, and when he does this, and there's this crowd of followers who are listening to him, he begins to talk to them about something, and it's kind of genius because he names something that no one expects. He totally surprises everybody with something, and he names it, and it's so true that everyone's like, oh, and it just kind of stops everybody in their tracks. So here it is, Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. Now, when this crowd hears him talk about masters in the first century, everybody identifies with this. Everybody knows what he's talking about. Within the Roman Empire, people have masters. Some of those, sometimes because they didn't, they didn't voluntarily become and have a master, it's because they got conquered, and so now they have a master. Some people, actually, within the Roman Empire, you could actually volunteer yourself as someone who wanted a master. You could actually volunteer yourself into someone else's household you would have a master because it was economically more feasible for you or for your family, and so you volunteered yourself into that servitude. But everybody knew what it meant to have a master because if you had a master, you did what the master said, right? Now, we live in the 21st century. We're like, listen, I'm an American. I do what I want whenever I want. I don't have a master. Ain't nobody the boss of me, right, until you grow up and have to pay taxes, and then you realize, okay, there is that, right? Like there is some things you have to pay attention to. That's where we're at in this passage. So when he says, okay, no one can serve two masters, everybody starts to pay attention a little bit. He says, either you will hate the one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or you'll despise the other. Come on, Jesus. Like, isn't there any middle ground? Why does it have to be this whole thing, like over here or way over here? Why does everything got to be off? Like, 
Why does it have to be diametrically opposed? What's going on here, Jesus? And everybody's kind of getting set up because, you know, when the whole crowd comes, they look up at this point because they're people who want to follow Jesus. I mean, when he starts talking about, you know, you can't follow two masters, they're going, I'm here, Jesus, and I want you to be my master. You're my master, Jesus. I'm following you. Like, I, I'm totally, like a lot of you folks this morning, like you, you showed up here, it snowed out, you're here because you want to be here, because all of you are like, I want to follow Jesus, I think he has something great for my life, I want to follow him, and so you're like, yeah, okay. So when Jesus starts talking about, there's two masters, you've got to love the one, or you're going you're gonna to hate the other, you're going to be devoted to one, you're going to despise the other, you're like, okay, where are you going with this? So listen to Jesus' application. You cannot serve. So you've got to love one, and you're going to serve one, and you're going to hate the other. You cannot serve God. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, and? Right? Because you're ready for the opposite. Right? Like, you cannot serve God, and everybody's ready for, like, whatever the opposite of God is, like, like the devil. Right? Okay. Oh, okay. You cannot serve God and, and, and sin. You cannot serve God and evil. But this is not what Jesus says. And all of us are thinking, everybody in that crowd was thinking, this is what Jesus is going to say. Pick something diametrically opposed. Okay, that makes sense to me, Jesus. You can't serve God and... But instead he does something that none of us expect. None of us are thinking when he says, you cannot serve God and... None of us are thinking money. Not one of us is like, oh, the chief competitor for God is money. But this is what Jesus says. This is what's so genius. He says, listen, I know you so well. The chief competitor for your love for God is not evil or sin or Satan. It's money. It's money. The number one competitor for your devotion to God, for your peace with God, is money. Now, you might be like me and you're like, yeah, okay. But you know, I, don't, I don't serve my stuff. It's not me. I don't, I don't really love money. That's, Jesus is my master here. I, I, don't, I don't love that. And so this is what I think Jesus is doing, though. In this verse, as he sets this up, he's saying, I kind of knew you were going to say that, so let me, let me explain a little bit. Right? He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. And you're like, ah, I, no, I don't. I just let me explain what I mean by that. What, what do you mean by loving money, loving stuff? He says, Jesus says, I mean, be devoted to. Or you will be devoted to. What's devoted to? Word here means like a strong attachment to. When we understand what the word really means, being devoted to a strong attachment to, we're like, uh-oh. Yeah, okay. Like you know, So, like, to be devoted to means like I'm on a quest for something. Okay. I'm thinking about how to get more of it. I'm thinking about money. I'm I've got my eye on that. Uh, it's one of the primary decision filters. In my life, before I make a decision, right, I go ask money, the money question, to decide whether I can or should. This is what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus is really getting at is this. You may not love, you may not like the word love, but let's be honest, you're pretty devoted to your stuff. 
You're pretty devoted to your desire for stuff. Now, this shows up in our life, right? Like, has this ever happened to you? Has, have you ever been in this place where you had such a strong desire, such a strong, like, to use Jesus' word, devotion to, right? Because desire for, is what Jesus is saying, equals devotion to. Haven't you ever had that strong desire, that strong devotion, so much so that you did something, that the moment you did it, the moment you bought it, you went and got it, this question came to your mind. Oh, why did I do that? Haven't you ever been in that place where you're like, I shouldn't have done that. I know you have because I've done it. I mean, they even make laws about this, right? They make laws about, like, number of weeks so you can return something that you have to, because it's called buyer's remorse. Right? We go and we have such a strong desire for it. We need it. we got to have it. And then we go get it. And the moment we get it, we ask this question. How'd I do that? You know? And you thought, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know what? Why didn't we just cover that couch? Why didn't we just... Why didn't we just buy tires for the car? And why, why didn't we just keep using the neighbor's pool? Right? Have you ever done that one? I've, I've been on that road. See, but Jesus is smart, right? And what he knows is what we don't know, and that's that the chief competitor for our devotion to God and our love for God is our stuff or our desire for our stuff. And this is where we get stuck, right? We get stuck in this place because everything in our culture is marketed to us and to our desire for this stuff. Everything we see, right? Like, like we're like, oh, I need it. So, so last week, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. You know how Facebook is really good at, like, marketing to you? Like, you know, the... Facebook and Amazon are like best friends, and like they know what you need or what you want before. I don't even know that I want or need it, right? And it shows up right in my feed. So the other week, I'm on Facebook, and I, this thing shows up on it, and I click on it, and I'm like, oh, right? Like a levitating Bluetooth speaker. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a levitating Bluetooth speaker, and it looks like the Death Star. How cool is that, right? Like, like I didn't know this existed. But within a few minutes, I went from, I didn't know this existed, to, I have to have that. Like, that would be so cool on my desk, right? Some of you are like, whoa, I need that too, right? But so, so you see this, like, wow, like discontentment. Everything is marketed to your discontentment. And you will be, so long as you are discontent, you're never satisfied because you know what, you know what somebody else has and you know what there is to have, and you know what you don't have, and so you need more. Stoking your desire for it. We get stuck in discontentment. It's part of what the world we live in. We get stuck someplace else, too. Like, it's not just discontentment, right? How about greed? Now, listen, I know none of you are greedy, right? And the reason that I know none of you are greedy, because you're like me, you can't see it in the mirror, right? You don't look in the mirror and see somebody greedy, Right? You look out the window and you see somebody greedy. It's always the other person that's greedy. It's always that other person that you're like, oh, they're greedy. And so 
So to understand greed a little bit more, I think it's really important that we understand Jesus' perspective on greed so we can understand what greed really is. Matthew 6 and, and earlier in Luke 16 and throughout the Gospels and throughout the, the epistles, all through Scripture, the same principle, the same two principles are taught that give us a real insight into greed and help us really understand it. And these two principles are so important, and if we get them, they help us understand everything else that God teaches around the financial area. And here's the two principles. First is this. Everything that you have is a gift from God. Everything you got, like it doesn't matter how you got it, where you got it, it is a gift from God. You don't own it, he owns it, he gave it to you. Second principle is this. Everything that you get as a gift of God is up for you to manage for spiritual and earthly good. That's what his expectation of you is. I gave you that gift for you to manage for spiritual and earthly good. Now, if we understand these two principles, here, here's where this comes down and we can really begin to understand what greed is. Greed is based on this other assumption. It's not based on those principles. It's based on this other assumption. Jesus says, you're not seeing the whole picture. So you base it on this other assumption. And here, here's the assumption, right? The assumption, and this is how we get stuck, and especially, <coughs> excuse me, especially if you're a Jesus follower, you get stuck here all the time. And if you get stuck here, you're going to stay here. And, and this is where we get stuck. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption, right? Greed is this assumption, that this way of thinking that says, if it gets placed in my hands, it's all for me. It's mine. So I get to do with it what I want. So, so if I give it to you, aren't I a nice guy? Aren't I a generous guy? Because it was mine, and I can decide what I want to do with it. Right? And, and if, it's, if it's all for you, what happens? If, if you get it, and it's all for you, and it's, it's yours, who are you going to spend it on? You. Right? Now, that's, you know, that's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. You're here. You're like, well, I'm not a spender. I don't have to spend it on myself. You're a hoarder. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter whether you hoard it or you spend it. It's still the same assumption, isn't it? If I got it, it's mine. It's mine. It's not a gift of God. It's mine. And the problem is that that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of selfish, isn't it? I mean, what it really comes down to. That's not really the problem. I mean, that's just scratching the surface of the problem. Because the real problem is this. If you're stuck in discontentment, you're, you're stuck in greed, you're not going to stop spending, are you? Because you live in America. And we invented this awesome thing, a line of credit. I don't have to make the money to spend the money. I don't even have to have the money to spend the money. I just get this little thing, I swipe it, I put it in, and, you know, I, I can just go to the store now with my phone and go like this, right? Like, I, I just spend it. And I'm not going to stop spending. And then I'm going to keep spending, right? And, and, and I go from, like, I want, right? And I want is one thing because it's, I want's a little bit selfish. But I go from I want to I owe. And then I go from I owe to I owe and I can't pay for it. And then I got miles. There is nothing happy about that situation. Because I want can be damaging, but here's the thing about I want, right? I want is still between you and God. I want is still between you and people that you love. 
But I owe. I owe is not between you and God anymore. It's between you and a creditor. So you, you invited a creditor to be in the middle. You invited the creditor. I guess who the creditor cares about. Not like God. God cares about you. He wants you to be happy. Guess who the creditor cares about? Ain't you. He cares about that paycheck. He cares about that money. So now you've invited someone into your life who doesn't, he doesn't give a lick about your happiness. He wants his money. Right? So now the creditor's involved. And you know what the worst thing is? As soon as the creditor gets involved, this, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Paul teaches in Romans 13. You've got to pay what you owe. So suddenly, suddenly God's standing over here with the creditor saying, pay up. You borrowed, now pay. And you're going, God, you can't be on his side. He's like, I'm not on his side. You just made a bad decision. Now pay up, right? Do what's right. You see, I want is still better than I owe. I, I still remember when I was a young man in my 20s, uh, my wife and I were saving for a house. We had to save, like, back then it was like, you'd have like 20%, 25% down. And so we saved, we'd save like twenty dollars or $25,000 to even start this process. We only made like 45000 combined income working full time, both of us. And so we, we like got this little tiny apartment, like the, the bedroom door literally would not, we had a double bed and you could not open the bedroom door to get into the room. That's how small the room was, right? Like it, this was this tiny little apartment and she used to get tired of me asking the same question, which is every time she went to buy something, I was like, do you want that or do you want a house? Like, ah, so, so we started banking all this stuff, which was great. But, but let me tell you, this, let me re- forward this, the tape here now. So, so we save up enough money. We finally get money. We're going to get this down payment on the house. I go to my boss work and I say, hey, I got to go sign the mortgage papers. Anybody ever done this? Go sign. So I, it's in the middle of the day. He's like, it's fine. He said, you go ahead and take care of that. He's like, oh. he said, I just, he said, you take as much time as you need, but when you're done, stop back in my office. And I was like, Okay, that's cool. So we go off and we sign the mortgage page. You ever done this? Like you start, like you sign the first page, you think you're done. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. And they flip the page. And like 20 pages later, you have signed document after document that says you like owe a bazillion dollars and we are going to take everything you have, including your firstborn child, if you don't pay that money. Like you just, you just keep signing all these documents. So if that doesn't take the wind out of me enough, like I'm like, well, I was kind of excited about this, but now I'm kind of like the reality has struck. I, I come back to work. I stop at my boss's office and I say, hey. He's like, hey, did you get, get it all done? You get the deed done? I'm like, yep. I'm like, yep, got a mortgage. He's like, good. He says, now I own you. And I just went, right? She goes, right. Now every paycheck I had to think of. I had to show up. I had to make sure I performed. Because this is what debt does. It owns becomes your master. Debt arose your peace. Don't trade your peace for something that can never bring you peace. So let me ask you something. I just want you to a little exercise on your on a piece of paper right in front of you right now. You just get the pen out. Just write down these three words. Okay? Discontentment. Write that down. Discontentment. Greed. And debt. Write those down. Discontentment, greed, and debt. Now I want you to just look at them for a second. I want you to tell me which one of those you think will lead you to happiness. Which one? 
Which one of those is going to lead you, if you sow in that direction, is going to make you happy eventually? Which one of those? I'm reading your mind, right? I know. And that's why this whole more thing in the money world, it doesn't matter. You can never, there's, there's no way to get enough money to deal with those words. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you'll be discontent. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can still go into debt. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you'll still be greedy. That's why Jesus said, you got to manage your money or it will manage you. you got to be careful who your master is because it will easily master you. No one can serve two masters. You can only serve God. You cannot serve God or money. So here's the thing. There, there is a way. This is what Jesus is really pointing to. There is a way to submit your financial life and your financial world and get it in order and not have it manage you. There is a way to say, God, I don't want a desire. I don't want my desire for stuff to compete with my love for you. I don't want my desire for stuff to, to lead me down to discontentment and greed and, and debt. I don't want to be managed by all of that. I want to be managed by you because none of that cares about me. I don't want to have a creditor who is overtopping me and mastering me. God, I want to trust you with this. I want to be mastered by you with this. And if you take everything that Jesus says, everything that the Bible says in the Old Testament about money, about this whole subject, and you boil it down to two words, some really free advice, and it's going to change your life. It will. It comes down to two words, generosity and wisdom. That's all. Everything, all the ancient wisdom Everything that God has to say about this, it comes down to generosity and wisdom. These are the two words. And if you restructure your world around generosity and wisdom, and you begin to sow into your life with generosity and wisdom, it will lead you to happiness. Your financial world will have peace because you've managed it. Now, in our world, as Americans, there's just three simple words that really can help you on this path. They're not hard words, they're not long words, but they help you implement generosity and wisdom. And it might take some work to get there. Three words, give, save, live. Give, save, live. These are three words that will lead you to happiness. If you sow into them, they will change your life. Every time you get your money, not just like when someone says you're at the grocery store and they're like, hey, do you want to give to this? Not when there's a fundraiser. Every time that you get your money, you say to your money, you will not be my master and I will not serve you. I will serve God. And so every time you get your money, here's how you say it to it. You give it away. God set this up a long time ago. It's been a spiritual principle for a long time. It's called the tithe. Judges says, listen, just take 10%. Give it back to my kingdom. Give it back to me to use for the spiritual good of the world. Give back that 10% to use for earthly good in the world, for my church. Give back that 10%. And this is great, right? Because God says, I'm going to make it enough that you feel it so that it does this work in your heart, but not so much that it hurts you. Because 90% is yours. Just You can do whatever you want with 90%, take care of your family, you can do all that stuff. But that 10%, you say to it, I'm not going to serve money. 
we serve you, God. And, and you kind of know this, right? So you give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. You don't live beyond your means. Listen, listen if you give and you save, it's going to mean it's going to impact what you live on. I get it. You're going to have to make decisions, right? You're going to have to decide, you know, I guess maybe I'm not going to go out to eat every single night. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not going to get the highest cable package. Maybe it'd be like Andrews and have what, like, I need four cars for my family right now because my kids are in college and they're commuting to college. And so you know what? We got 700,000 miles on four cars, right? Some of you are like, you're a nut. I am. I'm under the car a lot with the wrenches and stuff, right? So keep them right. But it's just a choice. I'm like, I don't want something else because I want freedom. I don't want to be a master to something else. I don't want to take on that debt. It's just not worth it. It infringes on the happiness that God has for me. And I've learned these lessons the hard way. And you know this too. You're smart enough to know, right? Discontentment, greed, debt, ain't none of those happy works. So let me tell you something. And if you've never done this, this is going to be a little hard for you to believe. But I want, I want you to hear it. Giving always results in joy. Giving always results in joy. Now, I remember the first, the first year of my marriage when we were poor. Like, we were like, we made like 10 grand between us, and that was like the poverty line for a couple. We lived in this government-sponsored housing, and we struggled every week to make it. We were so poor, people wouldn't even give us credit. But Susie and I decided we were, we're going to follow Jesus here. We'd both made a commitment to follow Jesus, and we felt like, you know what? Jesus asked us for 10%. We're just going to obey. Because we had both had places in our life where we realized obedience always has brought us blessings, so let's just obey. So I had these little cash envelopes, and I would put money in the grocery envelope, and I'd put money in the, the tithe envelope. And there were a lot of weeks. You, know, you can guess what happened, right? The grocery envelope was empty. The tithe envelope was full. Sunday was coming. So tempted to want to go and pray. I would pray over it. I'd be like, no, God, I'm not going to do it. That is yours. And I will not, I will not serve anyone but you. You are first in my life. You know how many times God provided for us? We weren't rich. Sometimes we were a little hungry. God always came through. Like literally, we would get checks in the mail from people that God prompted to send us the exact amount we needed that week. And I would just sit back and go, God, what the heck? God, what is going on? I never even expected it. It became spiritual stakes in the ground. It became a faith journey that I will never forget. And it's here's the thing. It raised my level of trust in God in my finances, and then it raised the level of trust in God everywhere else. Because I didn't have to consult my money anymore make a decision I consult with God. And we still do it because it gives us joy. We give more than a tithe now because we want to feel it. And that's what gives us joy. I mean, it's a weird kind of joy sometimes, right? Because you, you, you look and you know that's coming out of your account, you're managing your cash flow for the month, and you're like, oh my, okay. And, you know, and then you realize the good it does. You know, you get, you get to the end of the year or something, you get, like, statements from people of, like, the good that your finances have done and giving it away, and you're like, God, thanks. Man, thank you. 
And saving, this is really cool, saving. You're willing to save, saving results in peace of mind. Money in the bank becomes peace of mind. I remember when Susie and I were young, we didn't have a, we didn't have any savings, right? We just, even when we started making money, we didn't have savings. We just, you know, something would break. And I had to worry about stuff breaking. You go to the, you know, you take your car to the inspection. You're like, oh, man, I hope it's not bad. We were like, oh, boy, I hope it's not bad because, you know, I'm going to have to figure out how to paycheck to paycheck pay for this. And some ta- someone taught us wisdom, say, save. Just save an emergency fund. Changed our life. Because we weren't slaves anymore to, to something breaking. We didn't have to panic about it. It didn't undermine my peace anymore. Because I was like, God, thank you. We, it took us a while, but we, we now have something. The refrigerator breaks. All right. Let's just go get another refrigerator. We don't have to panic about it. We can be at peace. Saving. That's why God... Wisdom, wisdom that God gives us. And then we live on the rest. And here's, here's the thing. When you live on the rest, when you make the hard decisions to live on the rest, you don't have any creditors. You get less and less creditors involved in your life. And you have peace. Because you're not living in I owe. And you're not living in I owe and I can't pay. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Because giving will bring you joy. Saving will bring you peace. And living on the rest, it'll bring you freedom. You need freedom to say, like, okay, I want to make a decision to follow God. I can just do that. So I'm not always at war anymore. Listen, happiness is a trajectory. This isn't stuff that you make this decision and then, like, you try it once and you see if you're happy. Happiness is not something that's immediate. It is long-term sowing in the direction of God's heart. Sowing in the direction of God's kingdom, sowing in the direction of our love for God, and it will change your life. And you're smart enough to know already that discontentment and greed and debt will never make you happy. That happiness is more of a who than a what. And that who is God. So, what if, what if just beginning next week, next paycheck, you just went, I'm not going to be a slave to money anymore. I'm going to show my money who's in charge. I'm going to show my money who I'm really devoted to. I'm going to show myself, my heart, who I'm really devoted to. And I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to give. I'm just going to go ahead and give. Because here's what I think the best, your best option is. You want, if you want to be happy, and especially in this financial world, you want to be happy long term, your very best option is to stop doing it on your own and invite your Heavenly Father to be part of it. Say, I'm just going to invite you right into the middle of it, God. I'm going to serve you with it. I'm going I'm to ask you to manage me and then teach me to manage it. So let me challenge your thinking here because I, I want to call you to respond. Every message, right, we... we give you this opportunity to respond because obedience, hearing without obedience, Jesus says, is just foolishness. James says, it's just foolishness. This only does you good. Remember, we started where we started, like, it only does you good if you sow in the direction of your happiness long term. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let me ask, some of you have been, some of you have been doing this a long time, right? You've been giving, saving, living. You know that there's joy, you know that there's peace, but let me, let me just ask you this question. When's the last time you revisited that in a way to say, I feel it. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, 
Like, I feel it. God, I, I feel it. I know that this isn't the right place because it's making me feel it enough. So, God, I'm, it's bringing me joy still. I feel it enough that I know it's sacrifice. I know that it's, it's making my devotion and curbing discontent and curbing greed. So I feel it. What do you need to do to revisit that in a way that helps you celebrate and points you toward Jesus? Now, some of you have been, you've been doing the saving and the living. You've been doing that. You've been figuring that out. And, and you feel pretty good about that. But today, you're sitting here and you're hearing that greed definition that Jesus used. You're hearing those principles that Jesus taught. And it's all mine. And I want you to manage it. And you're going, wow. Never thought about it that way before. And you've never given. And you're like, I don't. I don't even know how exactly we get there. I don't, I'm going to need some encouragement along the way. I'm going to need to reset my thinking, and you're right. But if you'll reset your thinking, I promise you this, if you'll reset your thinking and say, I'm going to be devoted to God. It's not all about what I get. It's not all mine. It's not in my hands. It's, it's God's. So I'm going to change the way I live. I'm going to make some decisions to give. I'm going to be obedient. I promise you, what happens in that space, you will be so grateful. It will bring you joy. It's going to be sacrifice. I'm, I'm not saying there won't be any other feelings. There will be other feelings too. But long term, it will bring you joy. So here's what I offer to you. If you'll just write reset on your response card. If, that's, if you're praying about it and that's where you are and you've not been there with God yet, if you'll write reset on your card, we will follow up with you and help you with decisions. Because I know you're just like me. You walk out of the service like, what, what, what did I decide again? And if you really want to be obedient here, then just write reset on your card. We'll follow up with you. We'll help you take that next step. We'll give you the principles for that next step. And we'll help you. We'll follow up with you. So just from now till Easter, three months. Give yourself three months to say, I'm going to reset in this three months. Not, I'm going to try it in the three months and see if it works for me. Happiness isn't that immediate. I'm going to use the three months to reset my long-term trajectory towards God's will. And we'll help you. Now, some of you, you haven't been doing this stuff at all, right? You, you hear those words, debt, and you know, because you got it. You're like, I hate this thing. And it's like breathing down your neck, and you just wish you could get out of it. So you don't even know how to get started on this. Today, I want you to know as a church, that's what we're about. We're about to help you on this journey. So we're offering a class called Freed Up Financial Living. You get with like-minded people who are going to help you and coach you and go on this journey with you. And I'm telling you, if you start to implement the principles of generosity and wisdom and you start to align it with God and you invite him into it, it is going to change your whole world. And you're going to have joy and peace. And it's going to take a while. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you can come back to me in a year and tell me if I'm wrong. I guarantee you in a year from now, you're going to be glad you did. You're going to come back and say, Pastor Sean, thank you. Thanks for pushing me on this. So I'm just going to take a minute. I just want to pause for a minute. If you want more information about that, it's, it's right in your scoops, or it's right in your program guide there. It says Freed Up Financial Living. There's a whole insert or a whole section about it in the small group guide that you can open up. Tell you how to sign up for it. I'm just going to give you a minute. I'm going to ask you to take a minute of quiet. And ask God what he wants to say to your heart today about this. And after a minute, I'm just going to pray for you. Can you do that? Maybe 
Some of you want, may want to bow your head. Some of you, maybe you're writing down, responding right now. That's great. Just going to take a minute and do that, and I want to pray for you. Jesus, we're so thankful. We are so thankful that you loved us enough to put your finger on the chief competitor for our devotion. It's not evil or sin, it's money. That's so tempting just to trust in our money, just to trust in our finances. Care about us so much more. You know that it will not lead us to happiness, trusting in our finances, being devoted and stoking the desire for our finances because it's going to lead us someplace that will never make us happy. It's not more money, Lord Jesus, that we need, it's more of your love. So, for some here today, I pray that you'd give them the courage they need to invite you into their money situation. That's a, that's a pretty big thing. I pray that there's some here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give them more trust to know that you are faithful, that you can turn things upside down and provide in ways that they could never imagine. And 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, they will look back over their shoulders and they will say, great is your faithfulness, God. And it won't just be with money. It'll be in so many other places in life. Because once we get devoted to you instead of our money, everything else seems easy. So, today, Lord, today we choose to make you number one. Today we choose to set our path in the direction of happiness by choosing to give having joy, choosing to save, having peace, choosing to live on the rest so that we can have freedom to follow you. In Jesus' name.